Good morning. I'm Steve Coleman, one of the teachers here at New Hope Chapel. Before we get started, I wanted to thank the group that puts together the songs before the message. Uh, Melanie Coleman spends hours each week making sure that gets all put together into uh, this recording. And uh, she heads up uh, what we like to call the COVID choir. Most weeks they meet an evening and work through the songs, practice them, and uh, develop, record them and develop them into uh, the song service that you hear on Sunday morning. Melanie leads uh, with keyboard and vocals. Also doing vocals are Julie Coleman, Joanne Hagemeyer, and David Hagemeyer. Mari Hagemeyer is vocals as well as playing the djembe, and Bill Smith provides bass guitar uh, for the group. So thank you, COVID Choir. Really appreciate it. Well, have you ever made a promise you regret? As you look back on it, you think, I should never have made that promise. Maybe it was inappropriate. Maybe it's something that you now realize is impossible to keep. Well, the question is, do you think God regrets his promises? It's an interesting question. Let me place you in God's position this morning and see what you think. Well, let's introduce our new series, and uh, we'll read the scripture and start with prayer. We're shifting into a series of messages this morning that continue our study in the book of Exodus. You might remember when we started studying Exodus that Israel was in bondage in Egypt. They were slaves to the nation of Egypt and uh, hundreds of years, and they cried out to God, and God sent his man, Moses, to be his mouthpiece to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh that the people must be let go. There ensued a big battle of wills, Pharaoh resisting God, God step by step introducing plagues, and finally the land of Egypt was decimated. The children of Israel were delivered and, uh, and went on out from Egypt. They had a number of adventures along, a few adventures along the way, and now they've arrived at Mount Sinai, uh, and what we're going to have in the next few chapters is the Ten Commandments, the giving of the law, and so on. In chapter 19 here, just before that, uh, we read that they've come to Mount Sinai, and we have God and Moses interacting, and let's read beginning at chapter 19. In the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. When they set out from Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. And there Israel camped in front of the mountain. Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples. For the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people, and set before them all these words which the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together, 
all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud so that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe in you forever. Then Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. The Lord also said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Beware that you do not go up on the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated them. So it came about on the third day when it was morning that there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and we would ask that your word would speak to us this morning. Help us to hear it, help us to understand it, and put it into practice. Amen. We have here is an extraordinarily dramatic moment. Uh, the mountain quaking, smoke, fire, uh, the concern that if anybody touches the mountain, they will die. We have here uh, God's majesty on full display. We've had some dramatic incidents in Exodus already. You know, you have one of the plagues was the dark that no light would penetrate. We had the killing of the firstborn children throughout the land of Egypt as they slept in their beds. We had the parting of the Red Sea. But here, this dramatic moment is introducing, preparing Israel to receive the law of God, beginning with the Ten Commandments in the very next chapter. And so there's something God's communicating here with this. I mean, one way to say it would be that he is God and the people are not, that they would see and understand this huge distinction between who he is, what he's capable of, and their frailty. We could see it as a holiness and how unapproachable that is by sinful men. All these messages, I think, are wrapped up in this very dramatic moment. And we're going to learn more about this idea of being set apart or being holy, that God is holy and that common things are not, because it's a real theme as we go through parts of the law. So we're going to just note this and observe it and recognize it and watch as that theme gets picked up further on in Exodus. What I really want to do is go back to the beginning of the chapter where there are some critical things embedded in the text. 
First of all, we've got the children of Israel come out of Egypt, and here they are in Sinai. Moses may have been thinking, what's next? You see, God has brought Moses full circle, just as he promised. Back at the burning bush, when Moses asked God, who am I to go talk to Pharaoh? God says in Exodus 3.12, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. Well, Moses had completed what God asked of him at the burning bush. Israel has arrived at that same mountain to worship God. They're going to stay here, in fact, for almost a year. You know, the narrative of their departure is two books over in Numbers chapter 10. Well, the Sinai Peninsula, at least nowadays, is not a very hospitable place. It truly is the wilderness. You know, maybe the people were thinking, now what? Is, is there something? When are, when are we going to get to the good stuff? So God's words to Moses here are crucial. Perhaps the most important words of the book so far. They've come out of Egypt, and now they're able to worship God. And God says to Moses, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know, the God who brought the greatest nation on earth to its knees, capable of ruining crops, killing livestock, and bringing total destruction, even entering every Egyptian home to kill the firstborn child. This is the God that wants to introduce himself to the people of Israel and develop a relationship. And so the first thing he wants is for the people to understand his power, to understand the power of God. God reminds them of his power, but then he says in the next phrase, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. You know, God is reminding them, I heard your cries when you were in Egyptian bondage. I protected you and I delivered you here, all the while providing food and water in the wilderness and even delivering you from the Amalekites. At the beginning of this new chapter, God's revelation of himself to the children of Israel, he tells them to recall what he has done for them. In short, he's saying, know me better. Understand my power and remember what I have done for you. Okay, what's the next thing God says? He said, now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, and we'll stop it there at the end of that phrase, to ask the question, to what covenant is God referring you know, it's easy to peek ahead a little bit. We know what's coming is the law, the Mosaic law. And then that Mosaic law ruled uh, in the Old Testament and impacted what the writers wrote, impacted what happened to Israel, and impacted the culture even that Jesus came into in his first advent. So we know that's coming. And it's easy to think, oh, he's talking about the covenant there. The, the, the stuff they're just about to get. And that may be true in some sense. But to the Jewish ear, I think it would have meant something different. You see, the promise 
given to the patriarchs is one of the key things they've held on to since uh, certainly Abraham's day. The covenant that was established with the patriarchs. The idea of a covenant is not a new thing with Exodus 20 and the giving of the law. 20 times in Genesis, God refers to his covenant he has established with the individuals, the families, all the way back actually to Noah. Noah's told to build an ark because God was bringing a flood of water onto the earth to destroy all flesh, in which was the breath of life, he says, and everything on earth shall perish. He says to Noah, but I will establish my covenant with you and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. God established a covenant with Noah, and it fundamentally was salvation from the floodwaters. He even had another promise at the end, once the ark had landed, that he would never flood the earth again. Now, God made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12, uh, he came to Abraham again in Genesis 15, where we read that God took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then Abram believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the ear of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. So fundamentally, at its core, this covenant with Abraham uh, was a promise. And it's what the children of Israel looked forward to all during their time in Egypt that I believe God's referring to when he talks about covenant here in Exodus 19. So what's the point? I think that when God says here, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant... He means something more than we initially think of when we, we see that word obey. Why did Abraham obey? Because he believed in the promise of God. And that's something that God wanted, that God reckoned righteousness on his account for that. Let's look at Hebrews 11 to kind of put a, a sharper edge on this. It talks about Abraham. It talks about the promise, and what Abraham did. In Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse 8, by faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise, for he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. God reiterated the covenant, the promise to Isaac and Jacob. Joseph also knew that covenant and was counting on it. What God is promising here to the children of Israel are the same things he promised Abraham. The land, the blessing that they would be a great nation, and more. You know, Hebrews 11 goes on to say, all these, including Abraham, died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. 
For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So what did those patriarchs do? They believed in the promises of God and aligned themselves with those promises. They viewed themselves in light of God's promises and lived their lives consistent with those promises. The belief in God's promises is what God's looking for. And that belief is seen through the way these people align themselves with God and with what he was trying to do. So when God says, obey my voice and keep my covenant, what did he want Israel to do? Because they understood the power of God and they remembered what he had done for them, God was looking for them to align themselves with his promise and live a life in light of that promise for what God already has done and belief in the future promises that he's made. Then God says something really interesting. Uh, he says, if you obey, then he follows on with, then you shall be my own possession among all peoples, for the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. It's remarkable because God is revealing his plan that because the earth is his and he wants to reach the earth. We see that in Jesus' statement in John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his unique son that God wants to reach the world and Israel, the goal for Israel is to become a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, to function as priests, to encourage and enable people to make connections with God, people in the whole rest of the world. What an amazing vision and promise for the people of Israel. So this is what God wanted to communicate to Israel. He wanted their thinking anchored in knowing who God was, understanding his power, remembering what he had done for them, and then finally, to be people who were obedient to the vision that God had and the promises he was making, to align themselves like Abraham had done, like Isaac had done, like Jacob had done, to uh, his promises. Well, let's take this principle and flip it and look at us. We understand the power of God. We know and see the things that he's done for us. We've been given great promises and belief in those promises, first of all, give us salvation. And second of all, uh, put us in a position to become transformed and more like Christ. You know, in that last phrase, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, it's, that's the only time it appears in the whole of the Old Testament, right there in Exodus 19. It only appears one other time in the Bible, 
And that's in 1 Peter, when God's talking to us and says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Does that sound familiar? Sound a lot like Exodus 19. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you're the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. So it's incredible, but true. We have the same kind of promise that they have. And just like Abraham, our spiritual father before us, we uh, need to believe, we need to be aligning ourselves with the promises of God. We need to have our lives be consistent with that. That's what it means to obey God. What does uh, Peter say in the, in further on in his book? Picking up from, you would not receive mercy, but now you've received mercy. He goes on to write, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So what's God saying is, as a royal priesthood, as a holy nation, as a people for God's own possession, what should we do? We should live right. We should have our behavior lined up with God's promises and the truth of his word. And that alignment of our lives and mind to the promises of God is going to show in our behavior and will impact other people's lives. Well, I hope I've given you some things to think about and pray about this week. You might want to read ahead in uh, Exodus chapter 20. I believe you're going to hear the Ten Commandments next week like you've never heard them before. Well, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Lord, we pray that you would help us to uh, align our minds with your promises, to believe in you, and to let that uh, flow out through our behavior. In your dear son's name, amen.